Ladies and gentlemen, would you please rise for the playing of the Sibling Rivalry Baseball Podcast. And here's your host, Jana, and her big brother, Jeff. Welcome to the latest episode of SRBB. Seems like no matter how far away we get from it, we continue to get new news about uh, the 2017 and a little before, a little after cheating scandal. Seems like that just doesn't want to go away. And uh, we'll talk about uh, Manfred's love letter to Brian Cashman. We'll also talk about probably one of the hottest players in baseball right now. Uh, Coming up in the Angel segment, uh, how are the Dodgers doing? Well, depends on what part of the week it is and what part of the lineup, apparently. It looks like MLB is going to be joining the NBA and uh, soccer in something. Like I said, this, uh, the cheating thing doesn't seem to go away. I mean, we're all still ticked off at the asterisks and Manfred, for that matter, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. We're always ticked off at him, but he's well, it, permanently in the re- timeout. Right. I mean, because he just he doesn't have a clue about baseball. And, you know, he with the asterisks, whatever happened with them is over. The players didn't get... The players who were mainly responsible for all of it got off the hook. Recently, a uh, the letter that Rob Manfred wrote to Brian Cashman was uh, was released out to to the world. We all now have seen, and with the exception of uh, a couple of things that um, some redactions here. Overall, it's all there. It talks about that uh, filing the formal complaint that the Yankees filed in August of 2013 against the Red Sox trying to steal signs and gain an advantage in the game. And it turns out that uh, during the investigation, the Yankees essentially turned themselves in. (laughs) Yeah. The dumb criminals, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's funny because the Yankees were wanted MLB to investigate the Red Sox. And then the Red Sox are like, you need to investigate the Yankees. And it just seemed kind of back and forth between the two, the two rivals. I mean, really the letter, I think the most interesting part of the letter is why the Yankees didn't want it published because everything in it is pretty, it's pretty much like we already knew. So it's not like we learned anything new. But one thing I do have a question is, you know, th- this is back, you know, 2015, 2016, and how Manfred handled it. The Yankees were fined $100,000, and they were the money was given to MLB charities. But I wonder if the way Manfred handled it gave the Astros, like, like what's going to happen to us? If we do this, what's the worst that's going to happen to us? And so in a way, like in a backhanded way, Manfred is also at fault for the asterisks in continually doing what they were doing, which is way worse. But 
he could have just put a whole, you know, just stopped everything. And I think that the asterisk saw this as kind of a, the door is open a little bit here and let's see how far we take it because if we're just fined, not a big deal. Right. What's a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Not a big deal. We win the, we win the, uh, the world series, which they did. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more money from that. Yeah. And they kept the, the piece of metal. Right. And they got their rings and they should still have, you know, they're still the asterisks. But I just wondered, that's what I kind of got when I was reading, you know, reading this letter was, you know, there weren't any coaches or players that were named in the letter. There was an admission of relaying real-time information from the replay room to the Yankees dugout, both physically and via telephone, which you're not allowed to use a dugout phone to do that. So the asterisks were like, well, we're not going to use a dugout phone. So we're going to get in trouble for that. You know, like they circumvented things. And I, that's what I kind of got out of the whole thing was. It it was kind of like, here's a roadmap to get away with it. We're not using that technology. Yeah. Using this. We did this. We did something completely different. I also like that uh, the Red Sox didn't just simply say, oh, they think we're cheating. Well, they're cheating too. They actually submitted a video clip. Yeah. A Yankees Angels game. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like the Yankees own network. Yeah. And it's like when an actor or, you know, is going um, for, they put together a package of their acting, you know, from a movie or show for like Emmys or right. the Oscars. And they put together like what they think is like the best scene or scenes in that. And that's what the Red Sox were doing. Like, look they at did. this. Look, that's an iPad unauthorized out in the bullpen. I think you're right. They It really does look like, you know, when they when they saw it and, and even even after it came out about the asterisks, most teams said, we can do this. And then when they come, we can say, well, we'll tell you what happened, but you have to give us all immunity. Yeah. It's like uh, Manfred is just, okay, don't do that. You're not supposed to be doing that. Don't do that. And he never gives out any type of real punishment. There's never any real consequences. You know, it's like you... You know, your kids, you're, if you tell them, oh, don't do that, or this is what's going to happen to you, but you never do the what's going to happen to you part, well, they're going to keep doing whatever they were doing because you never, right. They, you they never see followed that it's, up, you know, follow through. Threats. Exactly. And that's what Manfred, I mean, $100,000, it's a lot of money. Well, to, me. to you or me. Right, but to a ball club, especially the Yankees, it's like pocket yeah. change. That's yeah. That he found that in the the sofa cushions of House Steinbrenner's uh, office. Right, exactly. He didn't even have to go home. It's at his office. It was just there. It was in yeah. a desk drawer somewhere. Yeah, just laying around. You know, when I go in my drawer to get some change, that's what he, he's like. Oh, I got about a hundred grand in here. 
I'm like, I got 37 cents. <laughs> so and an expired coupon. <laughs> if I'm lucky. Um, the uh, so the the question is though, by seeing all this, knowing how things happen, is there any deterrent? I know they made some rule changes about what can be used and what can't be used, but is there really any deterrent? I'm sure somebody's trying to figure out right now how to hack into the pitchcom system. Oh yeah. Uh, so that they can they can get those, uh, you know, and you see more and more teams are using that because I see more and more guys with their hand over an ear trying to listen to to make sure they got the sign. Yeah. Yeah. Especially um, at Dodger Stadium. I noticed that when um, which we'll talk about, but uh, Detroit uses Pitchcom and the same thing. It's like hand over the ear because they couldn't hear because it's so loud. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, somebody obviously is trying to hack into that system somewhere. And I don't think that, like I said, I don't think that it's a deterrent for teams to find ways around. Now, I don't think that they're going to bang trash cans. I don't think that's going to happen. They're just going to try to be more sophisticated about it. But... I mean, sign stealing has always been part of the game to a certain extent, but it was always on the field. And so it was, you know, it was just part of the game. If you were on second and you happened to see the sign, then, right. you know, that was, that was just part of it. But when it gets, you know, technology involved and trash cans involved, buzzers, uh, then that takes it too far. Well, it's one thing for somebody to catch it at second base, come back in, say, look, if you see this, that's what this means, and tell everybody, and then figure out how to relay the messages. But you broke the code, then then that's the other team's fault for not having a better setup. But I would figure if you watched it, I know a lot of times they go, okay, you see the catcher put down a series of signs. Well, somewhere in that is the actual pitch. All you'd have to do is watch unless they change up that a one is a change up versus yeah. a three or something. And the curveball is a four. Unless they change something like that up, the minute you see a fastball, you know, oh, one was the third sign fastball. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny how it's evolved from catchers painting some of the catchers, not all of them, but painting their nails to, you know, like white or yellow, something bright right. so they can see it. And now we have Pitchcom to take that away from the game. But even Pitchcom, I wonder, you know, if you're standing on second, you can watch the pitch and, you know, see or he keeps shaking this off. So it's, you know, right. There's Which, so, you can kind of get like the rhythm or the pattern of maybe what they're doing. The other day, prime example of that was Dodgers Diamondbacks. Zach Gallen kept shaking him off like four yep. different times. He shook him off and they were like, is there a problem with the pitch? Come whatever. No, Zach Gallen just wanted to throw a pitch that the catcher was not putting the right pin number in on or whatever. Yeah. Right he didn't have it programmed. Sequence. Right. Yeah. You know, he was not giving him the pitch that he wanted to throw. You could figure that out that, I mean, he knew what he wanted to throw, but 
So we'll continue to watch this. It's probably going to come up again. Somebody's going to find a way to to get around Pitchcom. It's interesting I, that this letter finally came out, though. Yeah, I had to go through the courts. And because the Yankees were like, we can't have this come out because our reputation as a storied organization is on the line. It's like, yeah, well, okay, no, nah, I don't think so. But they they felt yeah. like it was going to hurt them with publicity and things like that. Like, uh, the asterisks are doing just fine. So right. how's it going to yeah, hurt everybody, you? Everybody hates them. And yet, you know, everybody already hated you guys, the Yankees. That's right. You're a great Yankee fan or you're not. And I think it just looks like gamesmanship between the Yankees and the Red Sox that one's trying to get the other one. If you're going to accuse me, I'm going to accuse you. We're both going to get each other in trouble. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's that rivalry and they're just going to go back and forth and see what they can do. Right. All right. This next thing, we just got to rip the bandaid off of this and get it over. 324 games. Is that what it uh, came down to? Yeah. For Trevor Bauer. Yep. So there's no more administrative leave extensions. Uh, He has. Yeah. As a, a no lot of more. people joked, we 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 saw some people tweeting. It became a, uh, uh, you know, Trevor Bauer's been dead fifty years, but just as a uh, as, because it became a tradition, his uh, his administrative leave has been extended another week. Yeah, you know, exactly. in in like you know whatever twenty two oh five. Who knows? You know, <laughs> right? Just, yeah. <laughs> he's been, you know, these people, it's just like when they, when you look at it, that was like, yeah, it just, it's going to continue on forever. Well, it finally was over and uh, basically a two year suspension, which takes him actually takes him out of the Dodger verse at that point and uh, without pay. Now, of course he's appealing and he came out and, uh, and now every time I, th- I hear or see somebody write something like this in the strongest possible term. I strenuously, I always go back to a few good men when uh, Demi Moore objects and the and the judge says, noted, but, you know, overruled. She goes, no, we strenuously object. And then Kevin Pollack basically makes fun of her for that. We strenuously object. Is that how it works? I object. No, no, no. Overruled. Oh, no, no, no. I strenuously. Oh, well, then that makes it all different. Okay. In the strongest <laughs> possible terms. What? You, you denied that you did anything wrong. You're not being criminally charged with anything. I understand that you, you know, you're like, well, I'm about to lose out on whatever it comes out to be 40, 50 million dollars worth of uh, a pay. And I get it. He's trying to say he didn't do anything. Whatever happened was all consensual, which could be true. We know that there was talk of a third person coming up. Yeah. And and that some of the same things that happened with the last one happened with her. They got together. It was a few months. It was a while. Actually, a few years. Then yeah. they were apart. And then she, according to him, called him up to get it restarted again. And then you say, yeah, but he was abusive to me. And I guess the thing it comes back is, is people say, well... Um, you know, that's what happens. Abusers, they just, they can't stay away. And we, we've seen that, you know, people won't leave a house, you know, or they won't press, you know, they won't testify against the abuser, but it doesn't seem like he was pursuing any of them to the point that he was 
stalking them or forcing them to do something. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that it makes it right, but I'm also saying it makes it none of my business. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about this is why do we, why do we need to know about his uh, bedroom life? It reminds me of, of grandma and how she'd always say, I don't need to know what goes on in their bedroom. And that's how I feel. Like, I don't need to know that if you get on the mound and you pitch and you win the game or you help win the game, whatever, that's good. But I don't need to know what is going on in your personal life. The problem is, is that he has, instead of just being quiet and like, okay, I'm appealing the suspension and let, let the process play out. He has to, you know, he has saved all of these text messages and continually puts out messages and different things. And I'm just like, dude, just stop, stop already. I don't want to see this. Just let the process play out and you know, whatever comes comes, but he can see what everybody thinks of him and and that, that why not instead of doubling and tripling down on these things and you know, spitting into the wind, it's, you know, say, all right, just be quiet. I think yeah. he's worried that he becomes irrelevant if, you know, if he doesn't speak up or that people are going to go, well, he's being quiet, so he must have done it, you know. Well, yeah. he, he said he did things. He's never denied that. He just denied the parts where they said he was a monster, basically, and beat him and did things that they didn't want. Right. You know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. The thing is, everybody's story's the same and all of them went back of their own accord. He didn't he didn't go to San Diego to track the other girl down and uh and and have, you know, something happening, you know. And they and and we only know about the last one that she sent all kinds of messages out and told people things that made you know, it's like the it's like the guy who goes into jail saying, I didn't kill my family and then goes in the jail and says, I killed my family and tell somebody. And then that person goes, well, here's my chance to get out early. Why right. would you say you did not? If you're going to deny it, you never tell anybody what your plan is. Mm-hmm. If she once she went and told everybody it was going to get out. Yeah, I think with the third person. And this is, you know, the Washington Post did an investigate, you know, their investigation. Um, and I think that's how this third person came out. Um, and I think that she was going to, and again, you know, they were going to put a, wanted to file a restraining order against him, but they didn't because on what they said, her and her lawyer said, well, they were threatened by his lawyers and, you know, don't do this. I'm not paying you any money. You know, I'm not going to be extorted, which he has come out and said, I'm not going to be blackmailed. I don't, the thing is, I don't know. Um, I think right now, Trevor Bauer, nobody misses him as a Dodger fan. I don't miss him uh, on the mound. I, would it be nice if he was out there pitching and he was doing what he was doing up till last year uh, in June? Yeah, that would be awesome. But at this point, I don't know. I mean, he doesn't 
I can't see him. He'd be like the pariah, you know, in the clubhouse and just, and I don't know if he likes to play that role. If he likes, I don't, he has a lot of, he's a good person. Like if you were to like head shrink because he, (laughs) to try to figure (laughs) out, because he has, he seems that he has some narcissism going because he always has a video camera. He always has himself on film. Uh, you know, he has his blog, which, okay. Um, and he's constantly out there putting himself out there. And I don't know, is it, you have the narcissistic personality or, you know, he's talked about growing up, how he was always, you know, the weird kid. And even in college, I mean, he played with Garrett Cole. They played at UCLA and Garrett Cole can't stand him and has come out and said, you know, he's like the worst guy ever. No, no players are going to come out and say, oh, yeah, he's a good dude. He's great. He was a great teammate because they don't want to be associated with him. So he's just like a man without a country. I think that uh, I mean, he's he's obviously narcissistic, but I think it's self-esteem issues. I think so, too. I think it goes deeper. And he's still trying to get he wants everybody to like him. And now he doesn't want anybody to think poorly of him that he would do this in a criminal way. Right. Whatever we did, they asked for it. I was not opposed to it, you know, and and it was like, okay, let's go. Let's let's do that now. You know, and he's he's not I mean, he's not the only person in the world that does that stuff, but. It's just kind of, I don't know. Yeah, it's one thing is the majority. Uh, this is obviously like the stringent, you know, most stringent um, suspension that MLB has handed down through that, you know, the, the uh, domestic violence, child abuse policy that they have. And then people tried to compare like Marcelo Zuna, who, you know, he and his wife had the police were called. And, you know, he went through some type of program and he was suspended, but he didn't, um, he, he just said, okay, yeah, I'll accept the suspension. And when you accept the suspension, then anything like what you've already served, I think, or what you've already done, I think sometimes you don't, it, it's less. So you still have the same amount of games, but it's. Like, okay, yeah, I guess you're admitting, like, yep, I shouldn't have done this. And so that's where Bauer is now. Um, he They can't say, like, okay, time served, 99 games, and we'll take that off of the 324. It's he's appealing, so what he's already missed is what he's missed, and that 324 is still there. Now, what happens in the appeal process, I don't know. Um, that goes through, you know, like arbitration, you know, yeah, but, it's a third party. Yeah. A third party. Part. But, and I, and I, I bring up Marcelo Zuno only because that was a player that continually, you know, that was brought up, but I'm not, con- well, you know, I'm not condoning is, though, what he wants did. To, wants to, to, to do, uh, make those comparisons because Araldus Chapman situation right. a few years back came up as well. And you're like, well, how does this work? Well, Apples and oranges on all of it. Marcelo Zunas, uh, if you go and you do an investigation of it, yes, the cops saw him with his hands on his wife. 
But there was also videos and things like that from they have a, a really contentious relationship and she's attacked him and he's he's defended himself. He's fought back. It's a whole different thing between the, in in their their little, you know, weird marriage, domestic violence marriage thing, because she's she's done stuff, too. So when you look at it that as a whole. That was that's a different situation. Araldus Chapman, yes, the use of a firearm, but he he did it in a garage. He didn't shoot at anybody, you know. I mean, there's just there's different things. This is different than those. I right. agree yeah. that that if he, he what he doesn't get is is that it may not have been criminal what he did, but from from the uh, you know, and I don't know how the the contracts read. But it says straight out there there's morals clauses. And if you're going to do these things, it needs to remain behind closed doors. Yeah. And the problem is, is that he was well, he was fine. He didn't come out and tell us what was going on. Not like he was out bragging about it. Yeah. But, you know, so whether he did it and it was criminal act or whether the other side said, I see somebody I can take advantage of here and maybe get some money anyway. Yeah. So we'll see, you know, I don't know how long the appeals process will take. Uh, chances are they'll probably end up, uh, I don't think it's going to be overturned, but, um, or repealed, but they'll, um, but it, it'll probably be reduced. Yeah. I think it extent. probably will re be reduced also, but I don't think it will be, um, I don't think that, the appeal will be positive for him. Just be, there's it, just it's so much out there. But yeah, he he needs to be on a couch somewhere. All right, let's uh, let's talk about some positive stuff and let's talk Angels baseball. So the Dodgers and the Angels had something in common this last week. They both played uh, teams from the same division. The Angels uh, taking on the Guardians and the White Sox. They had the Guardians at home for four before they traveled to the uh, baddest part of town, the south side of Chicago. And for as good as the Guardians had been, they had been leading the uh, AL Central at one point. One of the top players, in, in fact, a player that we'll talk about later, who was uh, recently recognized for his uh, his April. Uh, Jose Ramirez, he had an okay, I mean, they were worried about him throughout the series, but the Angels, the Angels pretty much owned the Guardians. Yeah, they swept the Guardians. Um, first four-game sweep by the Angels since uh, September 2020, and they outscored Cleveland 20-7. to Right, yeah, no, it was, they were on it. And uh, honestly, you can uh, you can thank one guy for sure, and another guy who was just being him. You could thank Taylor Ward because he was uh, pretty consistent throughout the series, and then uh, of course Mike Trout, who being Trout has been exactly. And that's the thing; it's it's funny because you see other players step up like Taylor Ward because Taylor Ward has never done anything. Uh, you know, I mean, he's been there. He's had moments. Mike Trout, you just, what he's doing, you expect from him. Yeah, it's not, if he hits a home run, 
it's exciting, but it's Mike Trout. Right. First game out, shutout, 3 nothing. Michael Lorenzen, uh, one of the two pickups uh, in the offseason, along with Noah Syndergaard, who these two guys have really, you know, un- unlike the past where, you know, we picked up Julio Turan or Trevor Cahill or Matt Harvey, and they had a moment here, a moment there. These guys so far have been pretty consistent and 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 really they're making the angels um look good they're uh you know that was one of the problems everybody all angels fans were like are we gonna really get some starting pitching or are we just getting thor yeah and we weren't even sure about him yeah instead you got thor and his brother loki (laughs) yes and uh so Lorenzen three hit game in that one gave up no runs to a three hit shutout uh, six innings pitched that day. So that's one thing too. He and Thor have been going deeper into games. We'll talk a little bit more about Michael Lorenzen uh, and what he did in Chicago. Not a lot of strikeouts, only three of them. It was uh, Taylor Ward, two home runs in that game and uh, Trout one for four with a triple. And, and I think the other day you mentioned something about, um, you know, we, I think we brought it up a couple of times, the starting staff, for the Angels, they haven't had too many stinkers of a game. They've yeah. uh, been pitching well, and the and the issues have come with the bullpen generally, which is interesting because at the beginning of the season we were talking about how the bullpen was strong and the starting pitching, with the exception of Shohei, was suspect. Mm-hmm. Well, Shohei overalls pitched pretty well. Thor Lorenzen have uh, have done well. Patrick Sandoval, who pitched in game two, has uh, has done pretty good overall. The uh, the only one who's had some issues has been Jose Suarez. We'll get to him to a second in a second. Um, in that second game, once again, Mike Trout, home run, a double, two for three with three RBIs, and then even Anthony Rendon got involved with a couple of doubles. Patrick Sandoval. Uh, through seven innings and that's one thing with the angels you really need i mean all teams but especially the angels it's always been pitching so if your starters can go deeper into the game then it takes that pressure off of the bullpen to have to come in in the fourth inning you know or fifth inning which we had seen in the past now they're going you know seventh inning even sixth inning you know is good but it's hard when you look at the starting pitcher and then there's, you know, five, six relievers after them. Right. In the sweep, all the pitchers pretty much had, they all got decisions. Shohei pitched game three. He did five. He pitched five innings, struck out four, gave up a home run in the nine to five win. That was the, the most, the most runs that the, um, the guardians would get. Uh, during the series in one game five they were shut out in one they scored one in game two one in game four and then five in game three taylor ward almost hit for the cycle that night in my mind he kind of got it because even though he didn't get the single he hit the home run the triple the double he got a walk so he made it to first base so that's almost it's almost yeah, I mean, he he was on base three for four, four RBI. Shohei, decent night at the with the bat, uh, three for five and RBI. Mike uh, Trout again, two for three, 
two doubles. And Tyler Wade, somebody else I've been talking about that I uh, appreciate uh, what he's been doing, two for four. And then finally, uh, once again, Reed Detmers in the last game, five innings pitched. So you got to make it through five to, to get the decision. And he hadn't done that, I think, up until till this game. Only gave up one run, four strikeouts. So they're, they're not striking out a lot. I think um, Sandoval had nine strikeouts in his, and that was probably the most for any pitcher in the game. They looked really good during this time frame. Now it is April. We've seen this before with teams, not just the Angels, but a lot of teams. And they've and they have they've had these moments before in the past. You know, overall with their week of games, they had a winning record. It wasn't a five hundred week. They had a, a better week, but you know, who knows what happens next week. It depends on who they're playing and how the pitching goes. A lot of it. If Taylor Ward and Mike Trout can keep it up, then then things are good. Uh, of course, and Taylor Ward's name comes up again in that game. Two for four, two RBIs, and then uh, Brandon Marsh and uh, Tyler Wade, both contributing uh, to to the win. In one of the games, just to talk real quick, I mentioned that we had to deal with pitchers, the Cleveland pitchers. Shane, yeah. uh, Shane Bieber pitched six and a third. Tristan McKenzie, I forgot about him, but he had pretty much kept control of them to a point. And uh, 5.2 innings pitch, six strikeouts. Uh, One thing that was pretty amazing, Franmil Reyes strikes out four times in that game. And on one of them, he's so frustrated with himself, he slams his bat on the ground and it breaks. And they were just talking about, this is a strong guy. That's like uh, Bo Jackson breaking the bat over his knee kind of thing. He was just so upset with himself that uh, he broke that bat. Uh, Jose Ramirez, two for four, two home runs in uh, in game three. Zach Plezak didn't pitch that well. He was one that I thought would pitch better. Yeah. And then um, Cal Quantrill. In fact, two guys that came from San Diego when uh, the Indians traded Mike Clevenger to San Diego. Yeah. Austin Hedges, Cal Quantrill. Austin Hedges uh, in that game four, two for three with a home run. He actually played into a couple of the other games. And it seems to me like there's a lot of catchers named Austin that are uh, hitting pretty well this season. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Yeah, Zach Plezak, you know, you think when you hear Shane Bieber and Zach Plezak, you're like, oh, this this could be tough. This could be an uphill battle for your team. But Zach Plezak only went, you know, three and two thirds innings. Not very right. Plezacky. No, not, <laughs> not at what all. We expect. Not at all. Bieber looked Bieberish, and it was just later than it, they got to him. And then once they got into the bullpen, you know, that kind of changed things up. But actually, the bull Bieber gave up the three runs, so the bullpen didn't really. But it was towards yeah. the end of his gave up two home runs to Taylor Ward who just been on fire lately. Uh, so they, uh, they, they take that, uh, that Thursday matinee and, uh, and then head out to Chicago to take on I the shy Sox. Yeah. What's that? I said, isn't Chicago, um, somebody's kind of town. Um, yeah. <laughs> Frank Sinatra. Yeah. 
Sweet home, Chicago. Yes. I don't know. That came up in my head. My kind of town. <laughs> Great. Well, you know, Frank Sinatra hung out there a lot. There's a, there's a street there that used to be in Chicago. It was a first paved street. I'm not sure if it was just in Illinois or like in the country. State Street in Chicago. And it was the city police didn't have any jurisdiction there and the state police kind of did, but they didn't do anything. So that's where all of the mobsters were. That's where all the crime was, was on state street. Ah. And I, I think there's a steakhouse there where Sinatra used to go all the time. And uh, so they talk about state street as he's like, there's things you see on state street. You see no place else. I think it's even in that song, <laughs> but um, it's a, it's a, it's a cool, great hot dog place on state street. Uh, they got hot dogs and they got the Italian beef sandwiches and of course uh, Chicago. That's uh, sweet home Chicago because it's all about the blues for me. So they had up there hoping to maintain this winning streak. At that point, it's five games and uh, heading in, uh, they're going to have to take on Lucas Giolito. Thor scheduled to pitch, but due to an illness, which never heard was it the stomach flu that was going around that everybody seems to be getting in the uh and it seemed to be kind of maybe like a 24 hour kind of thing i guess but yeah he wasn't on the mound which is probably good because we wouldn't want him on the mound and then if it was a stomach thing and then he just like barfs everywhere that would be (laughs) we've seen that before that would be okay though because maybe it would have caused problems for lucas giolito when he came out there Giolito uh, threw six innings, gave up seven hits and three runs. The Angels continue the winning streak with a five to win, five to one win, uh, and uh, the return of David Fletcher from the uh, from the IL two for four. The two hits were doubles. Uh, they end up doing a um, a bullpen game. Jimmy Herget starts that off, and then you know cast the characters from there. Everybody in the bullpen got a shot. Uh, Shohei actually hit a home run, two for five with three RBIs. Uh, Rendon, another two-double game. He doesn't hit a lot, but when he does, he gets some doubles. And then um, a familiar name pops up in this game, too. Taylor Ward, once again, three for five with a home run, two RBIs. He's just been on fire. The one thing that I noticed in this series, every time I watched, I felt like Tim Anderson was always on base. I felt like I'd look and it seemed like, wait, wasn't, didn't the inning end? And he was, he was off, he was on base when the inning ended. And now we're in another, we're in the next inning and he's already on base again. Is he like the, like, you know, is, is he always extra innings? Every inning in Chicago starts with Tim Anderson on base. Yeah. I I was just going to say, I think it's La Russa (laughs) and he's like the magician, you know, in the dugout, the mentalist. And he's, like nobody, every nobody will remember. Nobody will remember. <laughs> and Tim Anderson goes out there and gets because he's a ghost runner, so nobody will see him. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it really seemed like it that he because it seemed like he was on all the time throughout the series. He had a pretty decent series, a home run, uh, three for five in the last game. Uh, so the Angels, uh, the Angels, like I said, continue that win streak. And uh, and then they go into game two. Jose Suarez on the mound. Not a great outing for Jose. 
four innings pitched, gave up eight hits, four runs, uh, faced five batters in the fifth inning, got nobody out. Yeah, it was not a good day for him. Sunday was not a good day for him because the Angels optioned him. So, right. Yeah. And they, they said they thought that they'd be okay. But, and now in this game, there was a rain delay, which led to an interesting moment of uh, Vince Velasquez, the pitcher, and Mike Trout wanting to keep playing. I mean, and it was pouring down rain. Yeah. It, it was and they were like down. having it back forth, like, come on, let's go. You know, the umpire's like, no, we're done. We got to We got to call. I'm not going to stand out here in the rain. But they were like, yeah, come on, let's uh, let's go. Throw were, me the ball. Yep. And and it seemed like Velasquez <laughs> wanted to do that. But it, it didn't it didn't happen. And they went in to the dugout and they got blank that night in the rain delay. And like you said, Jose Suarez ends up getting uh, sent down. And in that game, Taylor Ward, once again, one for four, uh, but he struck out twice. Brandon Marsh, three strikeouts. So not a great night for, uh, for Captain Caveman. And uh, Tyler Wade, two for three. So notice some names I didn't mention in that. No Shohei, no Trout, no Rendon, especially no, no Trout. The next game was the Sunday game, and uh, Michael Lorenzen, I told you we'd get back to him, quite the game. Through the first eight innings, actually through the first 8.1, he was on his way to a complete game shutout. But, and it's funny how when we talk about things being scripted, how things work sometimes. Because here we are, he finishes the eighth inning, He's got eight solid. He's never pitched a complete game in his career. And he's the one thing that that can't happen is a long inning by the Angels. The problem is, is that's exactly what happens. And Mark Gubixa is and and I think Vaskersian was on the call on Sunday. They said he asked Matt asked um, Gooby, what is it that's going to make Joe Madden changes mind and get relievers up or take him out, not let him complete the game. And he said, well, like a long inning. Well, the inning was about 30 minutes long. They did score two more runs because it was four nothing when they started. So that was good. Little insurance. And then when Lorenzen goes back out, gets the first out and then base hit, base hit. Blood gates yeah. open. They open it up. <laughs> And uh, he ends up uh, being on the hook for uh, for three runs. So no big deal, though. Rizal Iglesias is coming in. Usually that's no big deal. Right. That's uh, to steal from uh, what the Dodgers used to have for Eric Gagne when he would come in to close. Game over. Well, it happens sometimes. Rizal didn't have a, a good outing. A uh, couple walks and uh, he hit trying to remember. I think he hit a Brayu and uh, you know, it just, just wasn't his, his day. He got one out, but it just wasn't his day. Two more runs come to score. So here we are at six to five right now. You're like, excellent that they scored those two runs. Cause otherwise. Yeah, insurance. Game's over. <laughs> yeah exactly. Ryan Tapera, another uh, off season acquisition is able to come in and get the last out and save the win. So the Angels uh, won't 
lose this. They can still win the series. Now, one thing in this particular game was kind of interesting was, was that I was looking through baseball reference and they send out an email every day and I was reading, it said, you know, top matchups. And one of the top matches of the, of the day was Mike Trout versus Dallas Keuchel, who started for the, uh, for the Sox. Now, historically, Trout has 55 plate appearances, is hitting 354 with two home runs versus Dallas Keuchel. In this game, Trout goes two for two, a home run, a double, one RBI, scores three runs, walks three times, one of those times intentional. Dallas Keuchel couldn't get him out. So those numbers versus Dallas Keuchel only went up. And that home run was in his first at bat against Dallas. It's nice amazing. to see you, Dallas. You know? Yep. It's just. And then, of <laughs> I course. I think, yeah, some hitters just have pitchers numbers. And that's, he, he owns. It was, they say, he owns him. Oh, yeah. He, he could, and, you know, the one thing that they were talking about is, is that, um, and one, one of the nice things about having Mark Gubixa, he was a decent pitcher. And he, he knows, you know, what pitchers are normally taught across the board, not just one team to the next. But he was saying that a lot of pitchers are taught to live in the bottom third of the strike zone because that's where you'll generally get people out. Any higher, you're going to get right in the zone. Well, the bottom third of the strike zone is where Mike Trout has made his money. And that's what happened. They kept throwing low to him, even though you would think the scouting report is bottom third of the strike zone. Mike Trout lives there. You know, Does you don't the, pitch do up White's... to David Fletcher. You don't pitch low. Right. Do the White Sox use pitch comp? Yes. So it's pre-programmed. They're like Mike Trout. And they put it on there. Yeah, they should just autopilot <laughs> Mike Trout. You don't throw him anywhere in the bottom third of the zone. But PitchCon didn't work that day. No, it, it certainly didn't. <laughs> Also in that game, um, and we're not sure how this has played out yet, but uh, Shohei had uh, had to leave in uh, late in the game, uh, running out a, a ground ball. Uh, you could see him a few steps out of the box. You could see him kind of, I don't know, hop a little bit. You kind of see something happen. And I guess he's got a groin issue. Uh, haven't heard any you know greater details than that. Uh, and uh, he didn't uh, finish up the series with, we'll see if he, he's supposed to pitch in Boston. We'll know whether he did that or not. Yeah. Or uh, if he misses, if he misses a start, then they could always put Syndergaard in there since he missed his start in right. Chicago. So that's a possibility, but yeah, we, we don't know. He's, I think he's kind of a day to day. Yeah, absolutely. So they take, they take that one. Uh, finish up on a, this was a one of those weird series. Instead of being a three gamer, just a Friday through Sunday, there's a four game set, a Friday through Monday. And on Monday, it was an early morning game. If you weren't thinking for for the West Coast, uh, if you weren't uh, thinking about it, you probably missed it. Uh, and it's okay if you missed it because the Angels got blank, three to nothing. Trout struck out four times. It was too early. It was just, we don't, you know, we don't play baseball in the morning. That's what, <laughs> not <No>. California. <laughs> Patrick Sandoval, six innings pitched, gave up three runs on six hits. It was Dylan Cease 
the starter for the White Sox, who had complete control, 11 strikeouts over seven innings, gave up just one hit. Yeah, Liam uh, any guesses? Said the save in there. And uh, and overall, I think that uh, I think they only had like two or three hits. Actually, only two, two. hits. Yeah. And uh, one of them belonged belong, belonged <laughs> belonged to Taylor Ward. I was going to say Kurt Suzuki, but yeah, he got oh. the one, Taylor Ward. Yeah, <laughs> Kurt Suzuki and Taylor Ward were the only ones to get any hits, uh, and uh, Taylor's was a double. So overall, not a bad road trip. Uh, I mean, while well, they're still on the road, uh, but not a bad series, not a bad week. Sweeping the Guardians, splitting with the with the White Sox, and the White Sox. You know, it's kind of surprising that they're not running away with things. When you look at that team, like I said, Tim Anderson's always on, but Luis Robert, Jose Abreu, you know, their pitching staff is pretty decent. The Angels, they just got the Angels when they were hot, but they ended up splitting. You, the, the White Sox are going to put it all together. They're going to they're going to run away with it probably, but because uh, the rest the rest of the league doesn't look this the division doesn't look that strong. Well, all and right. that's a division that's always been. Yeah, there's not, you know, kind of mediocre in, yeah, in a way. So the uh, the Angels left Chicago and headed to Boston to take on the Red Sox at Fenway. And then uh, they'll be heading home for Anthony Rendon T-shirt night. And as they take on the Nationals uh, and then uh, looks like the Rays and their first meeting with the A's of the season will be uh, be on the horizon. And with that, uh, let's take a look at uh, who our player of the week is. Uh, I know when you listen to it, it probably seems pretty obvious, Kurt Suzuki. But um, who's your player of the week? I didn't even have to. Usually I keep a book of all of the, you know, pitching. Um, It's like my own little score, scoreboard, my own little score card. Uh, I didn't have to look at it. It's Taylor Ward. Right. Now, you did mention at one point during the week, uh, you know, I think after we talked after the uh, the almost cycle game that you're like, well, but Mike Trout's looking pretty good, too. Yeah. But and and why it's true. And I and I actually that made me think about it. I was like, well, you know, he did great. And a lot of times it's like, yeah, but that's what you expect from him. It was like, well, he should still get some. You know, so I looked at him too, but there's a lot of games where he didn't, he didn't do something, but Taylor Ward every game. Right. He was consistent. Yeah. So including that last one where Trout struck out four times, Taylor got a double. One of the hits. Yeah. That's my player of the week. Yep. So right now, just to give you how, how it couldn't, couldn't have gone to anybody else really. He leads. MLB, not just his team right now, but he leads MLB in batting average. His slash line leads MLB, basically. Batting average, on-base percentage, his slugging, and his OPS all top every player in Major League Baseball. And it is crazy to think to me I, that he didn't get his first at-bat of the season until April 16th. Right, because he was on the uh, the IL. He was injured. Yeah. This right here, the way Taylor Ward is playing, and, and just to give you a quick rundown, 
of this week. It was uh, it was eight games, 424 batting average. That's 14 of 33. Three doubles, one triple, four home runs, and 11 RBIs. Without Taylor Ward in those eight games, they they don't have the same they don't have the same week. No. You know, Mike Trout, not. Mike Trout might pull him out on a couple of those games, but it's Taylor Ward who really pushed him over the, the top. So that's our player of the week for the uh, for the Angels, and uh, what I'm hoping that he continues this because honestly, right now everybody is saying Justin who? Nobody's thinking about like everybody talked about Albert last year throughout the year. Justin Upton, who's still unemployed, unfortunately. I like Justin. But Taylor Ward getting that time, which it probably there probably would have been more of a platoon situation if uh, if Justin Upton is still around. It's time for Dodger baseball. The Dodgers left San Diego and headed to the Valley of the Sun to take on the Arizona Diamondbacks. Not the worst team in baseball. No, that would be the Cincinnati Reds. But not not uh, they're at the bottom of the pile. Although you wouldn't necessarily think that based on how they were playing overall, except for game one. Game one saw something that hadn't happened yet this year in baseball. And it was all thanks to Vanderbilt alum Walker Bueller. His first yeah. ever complete game shutout. Yeah. That's the difference. His first ever complete game shutout. It was his third career complete game and his first since August 3rd of 2019. Uh, But he had it. He was dealing and he told Dave Roberts, I'm not coming out. And I don't think you argue with uh, Butane. And he didn't. So he he went back in. Uh, I mean, he was cruising. He... 15 batters, retiring 15 straight batters during, I mean, from the fourth inning to the ninth. He didn't walk anybody. He did hit one uh, batter, um, but he struck out 10 and got a standing ovation from the fans at Chase Field. And it was a sizable Dodger contingent there, as always, but even the Diamondback fans were appreciated a complete game. And Walker Bueller said, you know, he goes, growing up, that's what pitchers, that's what pitchers did. When I grew up watching baseball, the pitchers I, I watched, they had complete games and it's important to him to be able to do that. So it's all Walker Bueller on that first game. uh, Dodgers had a, a two nothing advantage, Pretty early leadoff hitter uh, Mookie Betts walked, and then Freddie Freeman doubled, and then Trey Turner brought them both home with another double. Uh, Max Muncy had a double in the fifth, which made it, um, which scored Mookie Betts, made it three to nothing. And then just to top it off, Will Smith, 420 foot uh, shot into left center, made it four to nothing. Uh, so a really good game and what you expect from the Dodgers against the Diamondbacks or really any team, but especially the Diamondbacks. You're like, okay, this is good. And 
then it wasn't so good. No. By the way, um, most complete games ever, Cy Young. 749 complete games over his career. And when you go through the list, it takes a while before you start seeing names that uh, you recognize from, you know, Fergie Jenkins, 267 complete games. Uh, you know, there's a lot of players that, but yeah, when I was a kid too, and we, a complete game was not an unusual thing. There was guys. Yeah, it was who, a normal. That was normal. It's like you expected the pitcher to have a complete game. And there were there were times there were a couple of pitchers. I wish I could find them, but um, that were um, they started forty three games in a season and completed forty three games. Right. Yeah. It was so just, it was just baseball. The people there in Arizona knew that they were seeing something that doesn't happen very often. It's almost as rare as a perfect game or even a no hitter, a complete game. Well, and I think too, I mean, we talked about uh, Kershaw and his perfect game, uh, you know, was through seven and then him coming out. And I think that in the back of, um, you know, with Walker Bueller, it was like, no, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to go out there. And he you know, you see pitchers in the dugout. He came out. It's like, I'm not coming out. And pitchers usually in the dugout when they're pitching, they kind of set by themselves. Nobody really talks to them. Depends on the pitcher, but most of the time nobody talks to them. And um, I think with Dave Roberts at that point, I mean, it was he was going back out for the ninth inning. It was like, yeah, we're we're going to let you go out. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not, I, I wouldn't argue with uh well it wasn't like he was way over no like like uh, you know we mentioned that michael lorenzen almost had a complete game uh, Mm -hmm. in chicago and things kind of fell apart they took him out at 100 pitches he had been pretty economical with his pitches you know maybe 10 or 11 per inning was the average based on how the pitch count went same thing. Walker Bueller didn't have a lot of pitches, so it wasn't as if he was like pushing, you know, 120. No, he had 108 for which, the entire game. Right. And that was finishing it. So I think when he went in, he actually was under 100 pitches when he went into that inning. Yeah. So you you got to give him, you know, a shot with that. And it's the Diamondbacks. So why not? It's not, you know, and if and if something happens and you got to take him out, you take him out. I'm sure at that point he would have been fine coming out. But you also got to trust that, you know, especially a younger guy. Yeah. You know, I get like we we went back and forth about the uh, taking Kershaw out for that perfect game. But Kershaw has got a lot more um, years and pitches on his arm and coming off of, you know, uh, surgery and, and the shoulder issues and all that. Plus, he's got the ba- the chronic back issues. So mm-hmm. being careful with him is one thing. Walker Bueller's still young, still, you know, and we thought he was going to be the Cy Young guy last year and it kind of fell apart. He showed that in this game. Oh yeah, definitely. He really could be that. It was uh, it was a good game. You know, I thought it was interesting was that um, when you look at the Diamondbacks, they really don't have anybody that's doing anything. Seth Beer was is the one guy who's batting over three hundred, and the next guy 
is somebody who faced Walker Bueller in a uh, College World Series, uh, Pavin Smith, batting 261. Everybody else on that team is batting below that. Even um, Marte, who is probably the best player on the team, is batting down in the hundreds. Yeah. So that makes it even worse than when we hear about what happens after game one. <laughs> yeah. The Dodgers lost game two, five to three, and there were just no hits. I mean, Mookie struck out. Um, he didn't, he struck out, he didn't strike it at all, but he didn't get any hits. So he was 0 for 4. Um, Freddie Freeman had a hit, and, uh, you know, it was Will Smith that really. He had all the RBIs because he had a double and, uh, you know, Trey Turner also had a double, but it was just, that was it. It was just lackluster and Gavin Lux didn't help matters with the throwing error that allowed the Diamondbacks to score. Um, they actually, I don't know. It's just frustrating because <laughs> in the eighth inning, the bases were loaded and you have Will Smith, who you're like, hey, you know, you were you, you're the guy, and he grounds into a double play, and that's it. You know, that's the end. And then my favorite is David Peralta, who, what he says, he's not my favorite, but his quote, he hit a two-run home run to break a tie in the eighth inning, and um, he also Brewstar, yeah. And he also started one of Arizona's five double plays in that game, which just kind of tells you how the Dodgers were doing on the base pads and at home at home. But he says, David Peralta says, that's who we are. It's just who we are as Diamondbacks. We hit home runs and we'd get double plays. Well, I guess that's who they were against the Dodgers because they did it. It wasn't fun. It's not a fun game, especially no, when they lose to the Diamondbacks. You lose to a team that you absolutely should beat. Uh, it makes the it makes a loss to like Cincinnati. That one may, it makes it may look even worse when you lose to teams that you should absolutely beat, uh, especially when you just don't when nobody does anything. It's not as if, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the Dodgers. When you look at their lineup, if somebody's not hitting, it's okay because they'll be able to work through it. But Freddie Freeman already said what everybody needs to know. Hitting is contagious. When everybody else is hitting, these other guys, well, if nobody's hitting, those guys going through slumps aren't going to work their way out of it. Or yeah, there's and the, not as much chance anyway. Right. And when your leadoff hitter is like I said, he didn't strike out, but he didn't get any hits. He was 0 for 4. And yet somehow That's your leadoff hitter. Somehow he still leads the major leagues in runs scored with 21. How yeah. as of the weekend, 21. How does that work? I well, he does, you know, garner uh walks, but I Yeah, he, he's yeah. just something's up with Mookie and you know, it would be nice if kind of get the bottom of that you know is it home life is he got too many honeydews going on that he's uh you know he's worried about the chores at home that he's got to get done i gotta yeah. sand down that table gotta <laughs> fix that faucet uh yeah i don't know it's 
there's something up. I mean, he has flashes, and we've seen it. And I know it's only April, but it's Mookie Betts. No, it's and... May now. Oh, that's April's true. April's <laughs> over now. It's now it's getting late. Now yeah, we're now start... we're really concerned. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Gonsolin didn't look great in that game either after a really good start the previous outing. And then the other thing that they had to deal with is they had to deal with Psycho Killer coming in to close out the game. Um, Mark, Mark Melanson was uh, was there. I'd forgotten that he uh, he had gone to Arizona, but uh, he was there and they had to deal with that. Uh, next game looked a little better. From the pitching standpoint, Julio actually had a had a pretty good game. Uh, six innings, only gave up a hit. Unfortunately, that hit was a home run to Nick Ahmed, and then um, and then uh, Daniel Hudson came in and uh, and gave up the uh, the other two runs. Trey, somebody whose name pops up almost every game, and what's interesting with Trey is he may not get a hit, but he'll get a walk. Or a sacrifice. And uh, his RBI, I think he leads the Dodgers in RBIs. So Trey, two for four with an RBI and a double. Mookie scored a run, was two for four. Not that that helps with the other games, that because every game is its own thing. But what it's you hope is right? that's the beginning of something. Something. Yeah, well, and Julio uh, Urias did. He looked good, but the problem was so did Zach Gallen, and he pitched he six scoreless <laughs> innings. Yeah, I mean he 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 was doing. I mean he was dealing also, and uh, also Max Muncy third base. I was like, I think I texted you. Max Muncy can never play third base <laughs> again. Um, because and there he, were there were a few people who tweeted that as well as like <laughs> he should be banned from playing third base. All the everybody was on the same page. Yeah. And uh, what happened? They trotted him right back out to third base a couple of days yeah. later. Uh, so that was I, that was a tough one. Yeah, Zach Gallen really had control of that game. You know what kind of sucked for him in that game though? Ian Kennedy came in blue. This what would have been a save or save opportunity blew it by giving up a run and then ends up getting the win. Yeah, it gets the win and then helps out uh, Psycho Killer. Right. Who gets Psycho the Killer save. gets the save. But Zach Gallon's the reason why. Yeah. He should have. Uh, that was just that was I felt bad for Zach because I'm like, that should have been his win. That's yeah. why that whole conversation about wins and losses, it's easy to get a loss. You don't even have to pitch the whole game. You don't have to go the five innings to take the loss. You can lose it in the first inning. Yeah. But you got to pitch five innings to get a win. To get a and win. Then, <laughs> and then if a reliever comes in and blows the save or blows the hold, then... That's it. Yeah. Yeah, it just was not a good series. The Dodgers did not look good offensively the last, you know, the two games. Um, they just, you know, because you expect them to go into Arizona and just, you know, beat the Diamondbacks. And they didn't. I mean, Arizona took the series for the first time since September 2019. And 
Arizona had nine hits the entire series over three games, and they still won the series. I think the Dodgers had 23 hits versus the nine, and the Diamondbacks, yeah, just beat them. Yeah, because they they because that's who they, they are. Needed to because double plays and home runs. That's who they are. Just ask David Peralta. So the the Dodgers uh, luckily get a day off between Arizona and coming home, and uh, they welcome in another AL Central. We said that the Dodgers and the Angels had something in common. They actually had a couple things in common based on how the Dodgers weeks week went was very angel like and uh and then they uh you know the angels played two teams from the AL Central and the Dodgers got their interleague uh, game versus Detroit yeah the first time that Detroit um has played at Dodger Stadium in 8 years going back to 2014 oh wow i didn't realize so, it had been that long so yeah yeah, so they show up uh, for uh, Friday night uh, weekend series. Uh, Miguel Cabrera, the newest member of the uh, 3000 Hit Club, uh, along for the ride. And it was the Battle of the Tylers to start things off. Uh, Detroit threw out Tyler Alexander, and uh, the Dodgers had Tyler Anderson on the mound. It was a better night for Tyler A. Anderson, <laughs> Tyler Alexander. Tyler. Yeah, what did we say? If they were in the same class, it'd be Tyler Alex and Tyler Andy. So Tyler right. Andy was had Tyler the better Andy deal. had the better deal. Five innings, only gave up a run, struck out three. Whereas Tyler Alexander, two and a third, gave up three hits and four runs uh, in the uh, the Dodgers five to one victory. What was the biggest highlight? The biggest highlight, Justin Turner hit a home run. His first home run of the season. Is that the highlight? Chris Taylor also hit his first home run. Justin, Justin Turner, Justin Turner's home run comes in April, which until last year, he had never hit any home runs in April. I just figured he was going back to regular old and he'd start hitting in May. Right. We'll That's see, but he's been enough. having some issues, uh, you know, like a lot of them. He's he's not been uh, hitting either. And uh, so when you see that two RBIs for him, we were talking about uh, Trey Turner, sacrifice fly, got him an RBI. Uh, so constantly contributing. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about Trey Turner, I know that the fans are excited about Freddie Freeman and they chant, you know, there's. Freddie, Freddie, but like in the game, um, the last game in Arizona, if it hadn't have been for Trey Turner getting the double, we would, it would have just been a shutout for the, um, Diamondbacks. If it hadn't been for Trey Turner, like that's how I think if it hadn't been for Trey Turner, we wouldn't have that extra run or we wouldn't have this. And so I feel like the Dodgers, I, I like, you know, I like Freddie Freeman. I like what he's bringing to the Dodgers. I think we need some Trey chance in Dodger I think so stadium. Too. I think that, that I thought about that too, seeing him. I'm like, geez, how are you not already throwing the Brinks truck at this guy? Yeah. 
he's just, I mean, I, I, I get it. Freddie Freeman, he's younger. He's, uh, he's got, he's just, he's, he's just got more upside. I think than even Freddie Freeman does. Oh yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Um, he's just kind of the guy that I don't know, you know, he just, you just expect him to, to get things done, uh, but he does it in a way that's, he's not flashy. He just does it. And, you know, right. He just, so we need some Trey, Trey chance. Yep, definitely. <laughs> he's, he's the guy though, because he does it so consistently that you just, he's kind of becomes a Mike Trout in the sense of, yeah, we expect that from him. Yeah. And, and it becomes a bigger deal when he doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, right, and maybe so, it's easier to say Freddie, Freddie, instead of Trey. Yeah. Trey, because he needs another, you know, I don't know, Trey T. I don't some kind of chant. We got to come up with one for Yeah, uh, you Trey can't Turner. just say Turner. Or you could. You could do that. And then both Justin and Trey think that it's for them. Yeah, I guess he could be. I saw somewhere... Um, and I don't know because we'll talk about a uh, we'll talk about a uh, nickname coming up in the second game, but he is Trey Turner, so it could be two T two or T squared, you know T squared T squared. So you know that could be, or you could, could just do Trey because then it's yeah. a, it's more Trey 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 Trey. That okay. Or something like that. Trey, yeah. Trey. You could start it like like slow. Trey. Right. Trey. And go Trey. Yeah. Trey. Like a train. Train. Trey. <laughs> Trey. Something like that. Yes. That. All right. They Second game. Opposite results. Exactly opposite results. Exactly. Uh Tigers win the game five to one. Not the result we wanted because this was a historic night. For Clayton Kershaw, who becomes the all-time strikeout record holder for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And you wonder, and if you asked him, would you rather have the record or the win? It, with the win. Yeah. You know <laughs> what? I about, think that something backfired here because Saturday night was... Um, was uh, um, Kirk Gibson bobblehead night. Yeah, Legends of Legends Dodger of Dodgers Legends. baseball. Yep. And the Tigers basically said, I don't think so. He's ours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work out the way I think they were hoping, but uh, it was a great night. I mean, it's Kershaw Day. Um, like I said, becomes the all-time strikeout record holder in Dodgers franchise, surpassing uh, Don Sutton, who was at the top and now in second. Um, and the great thing about Kershaw is he's like, okay, yeah, I did it. Everybody's on their feet. The scoreboard, all of the, you know, is everything with his pitcher. And he's like, okay, come on, we got to get, we got to get going. I got to pitch. And the umpire wouldn't get behind home plate. Austin Barnes was not, you know, he wasn't getting in position um, because 
They were like, you now, deserve heard, this moment. I heard that the home plate umpire didn't know. Right, what, he that didn't he was, know. That he was on the verge of of, uh, of setting this record or, or, you know, setting a new Dodger um, uh, record for strikeouts. Right. So when yeah. it happened, he was kind of like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Kind of kind of surprised. Yeah, him. so it is cool that he they, you know, allowed him. You saw, you know, his teammates clapping for him. He did, you know, give his uh, tip of his cat to the crowd and went on because that is Kershaw's way. <laughs> He's not. That's who he is. Okay. That's it. Well, the one run that the uh, that the Dodgers were m- managed to score came from the one guy that you wouldn't expect it to come from, Mookie Betts. <laughs> right, and you know I heard um, on the radio, I think it was on the radio. Maybe I saw a tweet that said, "Right now we need Kershaw's bat." Yeah, <laughs> we really do. <laughs> he always always came up and had clutch hits. That's the thing with uh, Kershaw. Yeah. Um, and you know, wasn't, uh, Jacob Barnes an angel at one point? Yes. And he got the win in this game. (laughs) I knew you'd be excited about a former angel. (laughs) Now, anybody named Barnes, I'm good with. Yeah. 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 That was the extent of it. The most exciting part was. Uh, Clayton Kershaw and uh, getting those. I, that strikeouts. was probably the the most noteworthy spot. I don't know if it was the most exciting. Um, and okay. Before I get to that, uh, just uh, Austin Meadows, another Austin popping up, doing well, and Javi Baez basically drove things for the uh, the Tigers, two RBIs each, that uh, put the put the Dodgers away. But the one thing that I uh, I think is. Uh, something to be excited about was the fact that the Dodgers got to a point that they just went into the stands and got somebody, they gave him a Jersey and had to come out and pitch. Okay. Not really, but it seemed like it. Uh, Reyes Maranta, who uh, up until recently, well, he was at Oklahoma city, but before that he was in the Mexican leagues uh, playing down in Mexico and uh, they brought him in, and he kind of finished out the, the game. Um, but when you see him, he looked like a guy who could have been sitting out in the bleachers in the outfield, put his Michelada down. He's wearing his own personalized Dodger jersey. <laughs> and they said, hey, you want to pitch? They gave him some pants and. He went out and, and a glove, and he went out and he threw a few innings. And yeah, he pitched. He, he pitched an inning. He uh, gave up two hits. Um, he had three strikeouts. Um, you know. Well, he had up, and uh, he had pitched before, but um, the night before, actually, he's like I and I think I told you. Well, he came to get the bobblehead. Right. And he pitch again. <laughs> I was like, all right, yeah. He he's very. Um, he reminds me of as far as like his body type and how he looks on the mound is like uh, Bartolo Colon is yes. similar. Um, yeah, but that's not, he just, yeah. Someone he's out in the bleachers, he's out in, you know, out in the outfield, enjoying a game since security. Hey, do you see that guy in this row? 
Get him. Yeah, tell him we need him to throw an inning. <laughs> yep. So we'll see how that works out for him. Maybe they'll uh, they'll keep him around. Maybe he'll throw a few more. Yeah. Uh, so it brings us to game three of the series, the uh, the finale on the Sunday afternoon. And uh, once again, you can thank uh, Trey for an RBI. He did well there. Cody had a a, a double in an RBI contributing. It also was the um, uh, the return of Tommy Conley. Yeah, and he looked really good. I mean, he has, this is the first time that he's pitched in a major league game uh, since July 26, 2020. Um, he was with the Yankees uh, at that time. He had uh, Tommy John surgery in 2020. Um, Dodgers signed him knowing that he wasn't going to pitch, you know, last season. Um, but yeah, he came in and looked really good. Two strikeouts in his inning pitched. Uh, Dodgers uh, walk away with a 6-3 to three win. No thanks to our good buddy Skip, who felt sorry, I guess, for the Tigers. And really, to me, when you go to a game like this, you got probably the thing you'll remember. More than that the Dodgers won, Miggy hit a home run. Miguel Cabrera. Yeah. Added to his total, he's at 503 for his career, 3,004 hits, and um, two RBIs and a one for four night. But you got to see, it's like, I remember going to the 2002 Game 2 World Series, and one of the things that I remember most of that game is Barry Bonds' home run. Because I was at the right angle for watching that home run and watching it leave and just, you know, regardless of all the things being said about him, it was pretty amazing to see that home run. Yeah. And I got to say, I mean, this, (laughs) there was a real like knucklehead that threw a Miguel Cabrera home run ball back onto the field. I mean, that's, he's a dumbass. That's just exactly what he I is. I saw some I'm tweets sorry. where people are like, people are like, if I catch a Miguel Cabrera home run, I'm not throwing it back. No. The heck I mean, with all you guys. Like, did they not know? Was it just like, uh... No, you know what? If if, Don, if Jonathan Scope hits a home run, you throw Jonathan Scope's home run. Javi yeah. Baez, throw it back. Throw it but back. But you don't throw back Miguel Cabrera. Yeah. That's just that I mean, come on. It's like, really? Now, we didn't mention this, but in the Saturday game, um, was it Bruce Star Gratterall who idolizes Miguel Cabrera? They're both from Venezuela. I mean, he grew up watching him play. It was his first jersey he ever owned was Miguel Cabrera. They were on the field. He met him. They were FaceTiming with uh, Bruce Star Gratterall's family, you know, wow. and he, you know, waving and so excited. So he gave up a hit. I think it was a single when he faced him and he said, I, I was nervous. This is my hero. And so you gotta, you know, it didn't was help he like the throwing Dodgers. his hand up. Give me that ball. Yeah. The ball that he gave up ball. a hit. Uh, Mickey. Well, yeah. you know, it's anytime you go, it's like every time I went to an angels game, 
and got to see Albert Pujols play, it's not a, just about that. Is a, he could make more history, another right. home run towards, you know, well, the march to whatever, a hit towards 3000 or over that, you know, it's that's those are the things when you see those players, you want to and you want to catch some of them. I was luckily lucky enough to be in in um, left field bleachers. At old at Qualcomm Stadium, Jack Murphy Stadium, San Diego, yeah. where the Padres used to play during the home run chase. Versus the Cubs when Sammy Sosa came up, he hit a home run, but he hit it to right field, which was not unlike him, but we. Yeah. We didn't even think about it when we got the tickets and there we were and we could have potentially had a Sammy Sosa home run. But you went for those kind of moments. Right. Don't you know, it, you don't have to, you know, when you see somebody that's of those of those statures or when somebody's on a thing, Aaron Judge right now is on fire. You go to see the Yankees play your team because you want to see if Aaron Judge can keep that up a hit right. streak want to see if they can keep that hit streak up the people in arizona realized that they saw a complete game which is something that you know older people are like yeah i saw those all the time the new kids don't know what that's about and to see that that's an accomplishment so you go for those moments and if your team loses but something incredible happens you just go cool you you enjoy the whole world of baseball for that right Exactly. I mean, he hit, you know, we know he got his 3,000th career hit. Um, he tied George Brett for 18th in uh, Major League history with 1,119 extra base hits after that home run. But yeah, it's like, why are you throwing that back on the field? Like, give it to me. You know, Chris Taylor's probably like putting it in his pocket, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's mine. Where, and, and where did this start? We used to never do that. Only yeah. Chicago, only the Cubs fans did. Only that. the Cubs, and that was your thing. And now we're 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 appropriating Chicago, North Side of Chicago culture. Is that what's happened? Is that what we've gone to? We don't. Yeah, no, that should stay in Wrigley. For L.A., we can do our own thing. We That's set right. the trends. We don't follow them. Yeah, so in this game, even though Skip gave up that home run to Miggy, the Dodgers did go on to win the game six to three. Uh, Walker Bueller back on the mound. He first inning did not look great. 23 pitches to get through the inning, um, but he pitched out of it and uh, didn't give up any runs. Nope, five scoreless innings. And uh, yeah, he looked five K's. Uh, good. Yep, five K's there. And the Dodgers pull out the series win against Detroit. They go three for three on their week. How angels of them. <laughs> yes. It's better than going, you know, whatever. Oh, for whatever to for like the reds. That's um, yeah, that's pretty. <laughs> yikes. It's yeah, it's bad. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll bring up where, uh, where the reds are when we get to around baseball, uh, the Dodgers, uh, and their, their very first, uh, matchup of the year with, uh, with their biggest rival, and what looks like is going to be a continuing back and forth this year as it was last year, the Giants. Yeah, the Giants uh, come in for two games. A teaser series. That's it. <laughs> two games. 
two games and then the Dodgers head to the friendly confines of Wrigley Field. Yep, they get to take on the uh, the Cubs and that way when they hit home runs, the Cubs fans will show them how it's done. Exactly. <laughs> Throwing their and hopefully they hit a lot of home runs. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah, but we'll see. We'll see how how it goes. Um, you know, Max Muncy didn't mention him other than the throwing error that was just bad. But at the plate, again, he just is lost. Like, and yeah. he's arguing with the umpire. And when you look back at the at the strikes, I mean, that he was called, you know, a couple like, OK, I could give, you know, maybe it was a little off the plate. But it's like, no, you're swinging at stuff you shouldn't be swinging at. Because um, he's pretty, he has always been pretty disciplined in getting those walks, which he still, I think, to a certain extent is. But I think he really wants, he wants to get a hit. He wants to get, you know, those home runs that he is known for. But right. um, not happening. Not right now. And he, he did get a day off which he really needed. Yeah, I think he needs another one. Yeah. Uh, maybe so, a week. <laughs> and then uh, once they once they bail out of uh, out of the north side, they'll be heading to Pittsburgh. One of the coolest places I think to go play. I would love to go see a game there in uh, and then there's uh, there's a Renaissance Hotel. I think it's still a Renaissance uh, by Marriott right across the river. You walk out of the hotel Cross Clemente Bridge, the big yellow bridge. Yeah. Right into PNC Park and uh, or to get into PNC Park. Uh, I, that's I would love to go and do. That. Anybody want to uh, sponsor an SRBB trip for us to go to Pittsburgh and take in a game? Uh, we would love that. So, uh, yeah, so they'll get the Pirates there this week. Uh, player of the week. What do you I think? Walker Bueller. I, he, uh, had his first, you know, first can the first complete game shutout for him first complete game of the season for all of MLB. Uh, you know, he had, uh, pitched 14 innings, uh, 15 strikeouts, um, just looked really good. And I think he deserved it. I, uh, I agree. I went with them as well. Uh, opposing batters only hit 180 versus him. Uh, over the uh, the 53 batters that he faced in those 14 innings that he did, only giving up nine hits. So, yep, uh, we're on the same page there for sure. Walker Bueller is our Dodgers Player of the Week. Big happenings as we look around baseball. We'll take a look at uh, somebody throwing faster than I can drive. And big news out of the main experimental league, the Atlantic League makes history. But first, let's take a look at the NCAA Division I rankings. Tennessee dropped out. No, they remain number one. <laughs> They're for their sixth <laughs> week in a row. Yes. They ended number one. And I never didn't think about it, but I realize now why. And it's Ben Joyce. Yeah, he threw 53 pitches. He threw 105 mile, 105.5 mile per hour fastball on 
his first pitch of uh, in the seventh inning. And this is crazy. 28, he threw 28 of 33 fastballs faster than 103 miles per hour. 15, at least, 104 miles per hour. I mean, like, his arm should have, like, flung off. I mean, it just, like, it's crazy. Yes, uh, he he uh, he completely uh, uh, froze. I, I would think is the only way to say it. The Auburn hitters, and uh, <laughs> yeah, the Vols. I mean, when you talk about high runs. heat. Oh yeah, this is beyond that. It's like you know, white hot. Yeah, this is uh, you know, what's it like phosphorus or one of those things that you just you can't look at when it's burning, and uh, yes. you can't. It just gets that bad. Overall, uh, it doesn't look like a, too much has changed in the no, uh, a lot. little shuffling around. And a couple of teams uh, look like they uh, they jumped from the teens into the, uh, the top 10. Yeah, I mean, uh, we mentioned, of course, Tennessee. They're 40 and four overall. They're 19 and two in the SEC, uh, the Pac-12, um, Oregon State. They've been at number two. Um Oklahoma State is, um, they actually jumped, I think, their number, yeah, they're three now. Um, number uh, Arkansas moved to fourth. Virginia Tech, who's been on the rise, uh, they jumped up from seven to five. Um, Miami fell to number six, uh, but they're still leading the ACC and Southern Miss um, fell three spots to number seven, but they're still in command of their division, uh, Conference USA. Uh, UCLA up five spots to number eight. Texas A&M up eight places to number 13. And the Terrapins of the University of Maryland up five to number 18. Uh, Georgia Tech is back in the rankings. They were out. Now they're back. They're at 21. Uh, Florida State also Seminoles were out. They're back in at number 23. Uh, TCU fell four spots to number 24 after an 0-3 week. And um, UC Santa Barbara. Yes, the Gauchos made their season debut at number 25. Uh, They are dominating their conference, the Big West, at 19-2 record. Now, the couple things. Number one, Wolford, who joined last week, already out. But the bigger thing is the preseason number one. Out. They're out. They're no longer in the top 25. Horns down. Apparently. No more (laughs) Texas in the top 25. That could change. Texas could uh, pick it up. But as we get, uh, you know, deeper into the season, get closer to uh, time for playoffs and that, and we're in May, time is of the essence. Well, it's interesting. Um, They were on the cover of Baseball America. They were, like you said, the preseason favorites did that. uh, What happened? You know how sometimes they're like, oh, you're on the cover of Sports Illustrated and then everything goes downhill. Is it the same thing? It could be, no. yeah. That jinx, that uh, yeah, that curse. I don't know. We'd have to go back and see who's 
who was on the cover before and see what happened to them to see if there really is. Um, yeah, maybe I'll have yeah. to do that. <laughs> there you go. Uh, things are, are, you know, some of it seems to be settling, but we're going to probably see quite a few uh, changes uh, between now and uh, and the World Series. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, let's take a look at um, at some of the uh, the minor leagues. Before we get to the big news out of the Atlantic League, take a look at some of the league leaders. Uh, Salt Lake City Bees, the Angels AAA club, uh, right now sits at 12 and 12. And a couple of guys who actually three players that were all potentials to make the big club. Uh, Michael Stefanik, whose name had a great spring. Doing well, hitting 340 over 50 at bats in 14 games. Uh, Luis Renjifo, who we know has been up, played a few different uh, uh, times up in the uh, up with the Angels. Uh, 90 at bats, batting 322, 11 RBIs, and three home runs. Matt Dice, who they played at third, played at first. They've put him back to what his original position was, which is catching. Uh, not having a great 15 games. He's hit two home runs. He's only hitting 200 overall. And then uh, pitcher Jonathan Diaz, who's probably the next pitcher to be called up. Should there be when we get to, well, now that Jose Suarez is down there, they'll probably call him up after they give him a little chance to maybe work out what's going on with him. Jonathan Diaz will probably see the bike club at some point. He's 1.96 ERA with 18 Ks over 23 innings and was the PCL pitcher of the week, uh, which takes us to 15 and nine Oklahoma city. Um, Zach McKinstry pretty much leading uh, the Dodgers of Oklahoma city, 361 uh, batting average. Kevin Pillar was one that I was looking for to see where he's at. He's here. Now it's getting close that he can opt out sometime soon. Yeah, I was I was wondering about that. I'm wondering, will he or won't he? Uh, batting 288 over 21 games, four home runs, 17 RBIs. He's got three doubles and three triples on the season. Uh, Jake Lamb. 256, five home runs. Andy Pages, 247 with three home runs. And then out of the, uh, off the mound, it's uh, Pepiot. I can't remember his first name now. I forgot to write it down. Ryan. Ryan, Ryan? Pepiot. 1.66 ERA, 29 Ks, over 21.2 innings pitched. So we'll probably see him at some point uh, making, uh, making his major league debut. Uh, we went to low A. Inland Empire 66ers, the Angels, uh, low A team, 9 and 12 right now, whereas the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes are 13 and 6. Uh, a couple players' names to remember for the Angels or for the 66ers Miles Emerson, a catcher, uh, batting 333, six RBIs and a home run. For the, uh, the Quakes, right now the big stick is Damon Keith, who is a left fielder. Uh, 388 with three home runs, 11 RBIs. The big name that comes out of uh, Dodger prospect land is Diego Cartaya. And um, he's a catcher. And I think he's got a little bit of a wait until Austin's done. Yep. Probably. And I don't know who's 
who's up, you know, who's the, the next in line, really. But he's one that they talk about not not having a great start so far. He's only batting 224. He does have four home runs and 13 RBIs. Uh, but I guess for a catcher, not bad. Yeah, not bad. But, I, you know, I always felt like catchers should hit better than they do. I, I Me too. You would think that they kind of know, you know, the mechanics of the pitcher they would have that eye. What would I and call? Maybe that's it. Reason. They're in their head. What pitch would I call right now? Right. And <laughs> Instead of and focusing on the pitch coming at them. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, that's uh, that's just a short look at uh, at the minors, except for the Atlantic League, which is independent. And we talk about it because there's an agreement, and most of all these new rules started in the Atlantic League. The Atlantic League, if you remember, we talked about last season, pushing the mound back a foot. It makes history by adding to their roster the very first woman to ever play pro baseball, being a starting lineup on a pro baseball team, Kelsey Whitmore. She's uh, she's a two-way player. She was in the starting lineup in left field. Bat at night for the Stanton Island Ferry Hawks of the Atlantic League. They were playing uh, Gastonia, North Carolina Honey Hunters, and they were in Gastonia. She went 0 for 2 with a strikeout and was hit by a pitch. Uh, and then she was uh, replaced for with a pinch hitter in the eighth of a 10 to 5 loss. And uh, she put outs in left field. So uh, that's that's a first. And like I said, she's a two-way player, so she could actually take the mound at some point. For the Fairy Hawks. Yeah. So we'll keep an eye on uh on Kelsey. That or yeah, it's interesting to see how she uh how she does. Um I think it's pretty cool um that uh the uh Staten Island Fairy Hawks are assigned her to uh to a deal. So. And the Atlantic League is is all good for that. Yeah. So and and you know that's good because she's out there playing. We've seen now, we've seen a couple of, uh, you know, we, we know um, uh, the general manager down in Miami. We've got a first base coach in, in, uh, in San Giants. Francisco. So we're seeing that. And then, of course, um, uh, I don't remember her name, but the manager of the uh, Tarpons um, yep. down in, uh, in Tampa um, is uh, from the Yankees. Uh, There's a manager of the team. And uh, fully recovered from her uh, batting uh, practice incident. Uh, yeah, got hit in the got, head. Got hit in the face <laughs> with the baseball. ball. Yep. Yeah. So, lots to watch. Uh, I did notice that uh, your local team, the Albuquerque Isotopes, 10 and 14 right now in the Pacific Coast League. Uh, yeah, they're, uh, you know, they struggle. Um, and they have been coming back with some... Uh, you know, behind get they get behind and come up with some wins. But I will say I was really impressed. Uh, Saturday night's attendance at the game, over twelve thousand people wow. were at Isotopes Park. So That's that is, just shows you the yeah they they love their baseball in Albuquerque. Love the Isotopes. Um, it's a fun. It's like I mean I think we kind of I can't. Um, say it enough that go to minor league games. They're a lot of fun. 
Um, it's a great way to introduce your kids to baseball. Um, and because there's things that they get to do um, in between innings that you're not going to see at the major league level. Major league obviously is a lot of fun because you're seeing all the big stars, but minor leagues are seeing those up and coming stars. And it's, and it's, uh, like I say, it's just a fun night at the ballpark. Um, so yeah, get out there and, and enjoy some, uh, minor league games, whatever level, you know, single a double a triple a. All right. And just because I, I, I should have known their names. I'm, I'm, you know, I said the GM in, uh, in Miami, Kim Ng, <laughs> yes. uh, first base coach, uh, that are, you know, was out there, Alyssa Nakin for the, um, San Francisco. I and knew then, it started with an A and I was like, Ashley, no, that's not right. <laughs> yeah, it's Alyssa. You knew better. You know more yeah. than me. And then, uh, Rachel Balkovec from the, uh, that's, yeah. that's the, uh, the manager of the Yankees, uh, single a club. And then there's more out there and we'll see them as they, uh, as they come around. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, it's good stuff. We need to, uh, we need the people who are qualified to do things should be in those jobs. Shouldn't be blocked out because of something. All right. So let's take a look at, uh, what's going on around, uh, major league baseball. Let's, uh, start off with uh, let's do the months because uh, we've got players pitchers and relievers of the month let's start with the pitchers of uh, for april all right so pitchers uh mlb's pitcher of the month awards for april go to the mariners logan gilbert and the marlins right-hander pablo lopez uh, Gilbert was named the first American League Pitcher of the Month uh, for 2022. Uh, he went 3-0 with a 0.40 ERA, 22 strikeouts in 22 and a third innings, over four starts in April. He only allowed two runs and only one earned run in his first start of the year. Um, he led the AL in ERA, and he beat two reigning division champions during the month, the White Sox and the Rays. Pablo Lopez had a almost identical uh, stat line between the two. He went three for zero, oh, 0.39 ERA, 23 strikeouts in 23 and a third innings in his uh, four starts for Miami. And the only run that he allowed in April came during his first start before he closed out the month with three straight scoreless innings. So he leads the majors in ERA for the month of uh, April, and he carries an 18 and a third scoreless inning streak into May. So pretty cool for Logan Gilbert and Pablo Lopez. Interesting to see how long they can hold those numbers. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, for our relievers, of the month, we have the Brewers, Josh Hader, and the Blue Jays, Jordan Romano. Um, this is Romano's first time receiving the honor, Hader's fifth time. Uh, Romano saved 10 of the Blue Jays' 14 victories in April. He recorded a 1.59 ERA through 11 and a third innings. Um, opposing batters only 
a one point or a, a 195 average. Um, he they struck out 13 times, and then Josh Hader. I mean, it's Hader. He's throwing nine and a third innings, only allowing two hits, 15 strikeouts. He has not allowed a run this season, and he has extended his MLB best scoreless inning streak of 29 and two thirds into May. So Hater doing Hater things. Exactly. All right. Who uh, who were the players of the month for April? So uh, one uh, we know really well, and one that. Played for the Rays, now plays for the Brewers, and uh, that would be, surprise, surprise, Angels outfielder Taylor Ward and Brewers shortstop Willie Adamas. Um, They were both named Players of the Week. I mean, no player scored or drove in more runs last week than Taylor Ward. He should have been named the the, uh, Player of the Week for both leagues. Right. I mean... They just like, sorry, it's just crazy. So, and and we talked about him. I mean, he just, he has 400 average, 1.271 OPS. Uh, Willie Adamas, he had four homers, 1.203 OPS, uh, but he had quite a game. He recorded against the Pirates. He recorded four hits, two homers, and a franchise record tying seven RBIs. Uh, when Milwaukee went on to beat the Pirates 12 to two. Um, and he also had a two run home run in a win over the Cubs a few days later. So um, yeah, he uh, Josh Hader uh, reliever of the month. And then Willie Adamas of the Brewers, um, you know, both of the Brewers uh, player of the week and the Brewers are setting atop the NL central at 15 to eight, which is not, you know, we normally, they're kind of one of those teams that um, they just you kind of I guess you kind of expect them at this point to be up in the top, you know, be first or second. Um, and it looks like Christian Yelich might be coming back to uh, his former glory days, which we haven't seen in a while. So keep no, an eye not on since him. we saw Cody in his glory right. days. That's Seems right. Like the, both the yelly versus the belly. Yeah. Um, back that kinda, then in 2019. Kind of flopped, didn't it? Yep. All right. And then uh, players of the month, Nolan Arenado, uh, 375, five home runs, 17 RBIs for the month. Top three in uh, almost all NL of, uh, offensive categories. And then in the American League, the player of the month, Jose Ramirez. Uh, who hit 342 for April, seven home runs, 28 RBIs, uh, which leads MLB. Which is nice that Arenado, you know, got the player of the month um, despite his uh, suspension. Yeah. You would think that would (laughs) automatically eliminate you. Right. Nope. So he got that. Uh, A couple other little notes. It looks like uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., Made his way back to the big club, and uh, his. Um, I, do you happen to uh, have that? I think I sent you the tweet, but uh, he was playing in Gwinnett, the Triple A club of the Braves, and they 
put out a little tweet. It's like, uh, Braves just called up uh, somebody that's not even in our rankings as a top prospect. Let's see how that works out. Something to that effect. Yeah, Braves take a chance on a prospect who isn't even rated in our system's top 100. The Gwinnett Stripers tweeted out. Um, on the return of Ronald Acuna Jr. from his rehab assignment. So he's back. We'll see how that affects the Braves, uh, which I'm assuming as long as he comes in and plays, you know, mostly like Ronald Acuna Jr., it's going to be uh, a positive for them. Of course, didn't they win the World Series without him? They did. They did. So maybe, maybe you don't need him. And then uh, Dusty Baker is on the verge of a milestone. Yeah, 2,000 wins by uh, a manager. He's uh, 2,000. And it would be um, the first for a uh, black manager. Really cool thing about Dusty Baker. I didn't realize this. He was a Marine. Yes. And uh, I don't know why I didn't. I'm sure I heard that at some point, but it, but I have to say when he started, when he became the Asterix manager after the whole cheating thing and he kind of, to me, I felt like he kind of fed into it, but now I see him and I feel like he has really taken over as it's a different feel with him in the dugout now for some, I don't know what it is. But I've always been a Dusty Baker fan, so I'm glad that I can like him again. Because <laughs> I didn't really like him for a while. So, yeah, it was it was kind of hard uh, watching, you know, what and how he played it out. But, yeah, it's um, I think I think a lot of things as, you know, when Correa left the uh, the asterisks that kind of changed things. I think if Altuve left, that Bregman probably it would become less and less of an issue with him, yeah, and um, and probably Guriel. All right, well let's. Without further ado, time to spin that wheel of ill. Speaking of Dodgers, uh, we talked about Blake Trinan with uh, shoulder issues he's on the 10 day il but dave roberts did say on sunday that that probably will be a little bit longer than what they were expecting andrew uh haney hasn't picked up a baseball since he went on the il that does not i don't think that bodes well does not sound good good. nope so i'm kind of wishing i could take back that player of the week Well, you know. No. (laughs) Did I jinx him? I don't know. Maybe you did that. I could have, and that would be sad. Uh, We talked about uh, Shohei uh, day-to-day, and then um, Matt Duffy was placed on the injured list. Um, No injury indicated, which usually means uh, COVID-related. He um, was replaced by Jack Mayfield, who um, had been optioned on Friday, um, which was a surprise to me. David Fletcher (laughs) to come back up. Yeah, right. So, but he's on the taxi squad 
So they've got him close. They keep him close, Captain Jack. Eddie Rosario of the Braves. Also 10-day unspecified must be COVID. I mean, what else can it be? Uh, Trey Mancini is day-to-day with sore ribs in Baltimore. Eloy Jimenez of the White Sox, we talked about him. He's still on the wheel spinning, but he underwent surgery to repair a torn hamstring tendon, so he will be out. I think they said six to eight weeks, but we'll see. Uh, Jonathan India had hurt his hamstring in a game against the Dodgers, came back, really enjoyed his stay on the wheel. He's back on the wheel with the hamstring, so probably came back too soon. Uh, Chris Bryant's first um, trip on the IL this season, or on the wheel uh, with back issues, um, I didn't mention this uh, when I was talking about the Angels, but Archie Bradley is on the 10-day IL, and he seems to be kind of back and forth. You see him pitch, and then you don't see him, and it's I think it's kind of the same thing. He has an abdominal strain, so he's back. Uh, Miguel uh, Sano, he's having knee issues, and Rocco said it looks like he's going to have to have some kind of procedure. He didn't say surgery. He just said procedure. (laughs) Yes. uh, That way it doesn't sound as bad. I can downplay it. Yeah. It's like, you know, he just, you know, has a same day procedure. It doesn't sound, you know, it's just same day. No, it's not as bad. Uh, Yeah. Joey Gallo's day to day with a groin injury and San Francisco. They've got an outbreak going on, and they are reinstating those COVID uh, protocols that, you know, Major League Baseball had with, you know, they want masks and uh, cleaning procedures because Brandon Belt, Dominic Leone, Stephen Duggar, Mike Yastrzemski, and Zach Little all are on the COVID IL. Well, we are seeing it uh, pick back up. You know, they had finally um, loosened the standards and and no more mask on uh, indoor big events. And, uh, you know, you can go, I think just about everywhere except for like hospitals seem to, they still have the mask thing. But, you know, you're seeing more and more people without. And what happened? The numbers started going back up again. Yeah. Um, also for San Francisco, Austin Slater, he has a right knee contusion. Um, I think he's day to day, you know, feeling a little bit better, maybe, uh, show up as a DH. And then our favorite Jocelyn is day to day with a right adductor strain, hitting too many home runs and, uh, straining his adductor. And that is it for the wheel of IL. So before we bail out on you today, um, couple things. Number one, Manny Machado leads Major League Baseball in war and a few other. And it seems to be kind of quiet. You know, I'm, I'm not hearing that much about San Diego. Uh, although there's a lot of talk about their pitching staff. And uh, I believe this week when they're in uh, when they're in Cleveland, Mike Clevenger is going to make his uh, return and going to pitch against his old team. For his first yeah, game he has back. jumped off the wheel. Yes. So he's, Gingerly. he's back in there. Yes. Hopefully with that. Well, I mean, I don't care if he gets hurt again. Um, no. And then, but when you look at, at who they have, 
they've got some great pitchers and Blake Snell's not even been pitching yet. And I think he had a rehab assignment maybe. Um, but yeah, we still don't know if he's, when he will be, when he will be back. A lot of these guys are, you know, TBD to be determined, which is never a good sign. Actually bring them back and then they'll still be to be TBD to be defeated. <laughs> Especially if they're part of the Cincinnati Reds, three and 19, one and nine in their last 10. It's crazy. Anyway, I brought up the, uh, the Padres because the Padres are the first team to do something that's on the horizon. And they're going to join We're normally, and I'm going to say this correctly. Normally when we see in soccer on a kit, that's what they call their uniforms. It's not a uniform. It's a kit, soccer kit. They play on the pitch. That's why it just, you know, anyway, with the, it, if not for Ted Lasso, how many people would care <laughs> about soccer? Right. So I wouldn't, I love Ted Lasso. The San Diego Padres are the first team to announce sponsorship on the uniform. The NBA does it. They have a little thing on their on their uniform. I know like, uh, what is it? Wish, which is like uh, online. You can buy stuff cheaply from China, basically. The Lakers have that on theirs. You know, you look at soccer jerseys there. You, sometimes you can't even tell what number somebody is because it's there's you know, or who, who team, what team is that? Because there's more of the, it reminds me when I was in little league baseball, the first two teams I played for, I played for Paul's market and Chesapeake masonry. It wasn't, you know, the, the Cardinals sponsored by Paul's market or like the bad news bears, the bears sponsored by Chico's bell bonds. It was, we were Paul's market. That was the name of our team. Chesapeake, Chesapeake Masonry, you know, there was a team that was sponsored by Coca-Cola. That was what they played for Coca-Cola. And uh, I remember, you know, that we were sponsored. One other team I played on was sponsored by uh, a, an auto shop. So the name of the team was the Mechanics. But that's different than being Bob's Auto Shop. <laughs> right. So some of those teams, when you look at them soccer, you can't tell. Well, the Padres will still have the Padres across that, but on their sleeve, they have a Motorola patch. Probably so yeah. they could try to cheat. It's probably got some kind of wiring in it, and they can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they can see. It actually doesn't look bad. You know, it's not flashy. Um, it fits right in with the brown and gold. Of, right. You know, it's, for Padres, it's, I it, think it, it's brown, but. It's, it's, you know, I mean, it's a, an advertisement, but it's complimentary to I think it doesn't look bad. Uh, I know on Twitter, I saw people putting uh, in and out uh, advertisements on Dodger jerseys with the whole big yellow arrow across it. And, you know, yeah, I, I yeah, don't know I mean, how we're it's obviously going to see that. I could see the Dodgers having like a little like 76 patch you know, oh, yeah. or, so, you know, and it, and you would see it. And if you don't know what 76 is, um, what player wore 76? What exactly. Happened <laughs> exactly. So it could work out in the daughter's favorite. Also, um, I also read in, 
uh, that the Dodgers were looking at, you know, naming rights for Dodger Stadium, which a lot of people are up in arms about. Um, I don't know if it's when that will happen, if it will happen, but they said it will always be Dodger Stadium. It's not going to be, you know, like here in, in Albuquerque, you have the famous pit where uh, University of New Mexico basketball player, you know, basketball teams play and it's the pit. There's a huge sign out there that says the pit, but they did have naming rights. And so it was dream style arena or the pit at dream style arena. No one ever calls it dream style arena. It will always be the pit. And so hopefully the same thing will be with the Dodgers too, but we'll keep an eye on that. And then also see what other teams follow in the Padres, uh, footsteps and if more of them have i mean i could see the mariners doing t-mobile they already play at t-mobile park um if more of them have like technology companies maybe but i wonder because t-mobile i mean they could do that but t-mobile is also a major league sponsor that's true i wonder maybe they across yeah that's true but major league baseball get involved in that where each team will have a team that they're like you said the 70 76 or or something that's uh dodgers connected will major league baseball add an advertisement of their own maybe they put t-mobile uh patches or something on every uniform is it going to become seven different things on there no I could, I'm okay with, you know, like the patch that the Padres have, it's, you see it, but it's discreet. It's not like flashy and out there. And even if say the Dodgers did like the 76 patch again, it's not, you know, it's like, like it would be like, what number, what player 76 who died, you know, kind of thing. Why are they honoring? Um, Right. And you probably wouldn't notice it, but then when it becomes everything and you just, you know, it's like in and out sponsors, Clayton Kershaw, you know, on the back or (laughs) (laughs) it comes individually, you know what it's going to become like, uh, remember in, um, office space. Yeah. Pieces of flair. Yes. How many pieces of flair do you have? And the more pieces of flair, the better. Right. Which the in this better. case, is not. Don't don't do it, MLB. Don't do it. I like that. Who's that guy standing next to Kershaw on the mound? Oh, that's the extra uniform. He doesn't really play. He's just got to be there because that's the extra advertisement. They needed <laughs> right. more didn't space. Fit. <laughs> yeah. Didn't all fit on his jersey or his pant legs or. Yeah, I just don't want to see, you know, there are iconic jerseys. Um, The Dodgers are an iconic jersey. The Yankees, the pinstripes, you know, there's just, um, there's some that are just that, you know, you know, they're just iconic. And I, I don't necessarily have an issue with the sponsorship, but I don't want it to be get out of control where it's just everywhere and you're like you said what what team is this who are we watching right what what is this is this baseball hey look it's paul's market versus chesapeake masonry (laughs) right well 
it would be now batting for Paul's Market, number three, Chris Taylor. But for this week's episode of Sibling Rivalry Baseball Podcast, remember you can find us on Twitter at Sibling Rivalry BB without the A. Instagram and Facebook at Sibling Rivalry BB and at our website, SiblingRivalryBB.com. Next week, we'll figure out what was the nickname that Jana alluded to but didn't share. And will a trip down to AAA shake things up for Joe Adele? All that and more on the next edition of Sibling Rivalry Baseball Podcast. Yeah.